Welcome to the bridge. We're so grateful that you're here this morning and uh, thankful for the opportunity to be able to serve uh, you and your family um, here. Hopefully you've taken advantage of the coffee bar out there. And uh, We had uh, several extras to show up this morning helping us set up and everything, and I appreciate everybody coming early uh, and uh, getting everything set up and ready for service today. And for those that will stay after and help us tear down, Derek is gone this week. Uh, he's accustomed to uh, coming early and, and setting up all the stuff, but uh, they took a weekend away for spring break. How many's enjoyed spring break? Kids, you happy about spring break, I'm sure. Uh, parents, probably not so much, but uh, kids <laughs> probably are wanting a break, and uh, that's what... Derek and them are doing uh, and went away on a spring break uh, thing. So we and several others in the church as well. Um, we are continuing our unarmed uh, sermon series today, and this is the third week as uh, we're going on a journey together as a church uh, to study God's word about the armor of God, the whole armor of God. Um, One thing in studying out this text that we're looking at in Ephesians where that it speaks to these different components of armor that God gives us spiritually. Um, I've listened to other sermons before in uh, times past by preachers about how the, the majority of those components are defensive in nature and only one is offensive going on the offense. So we've got a breastplate of righteousness, we've got a helmet of salvation, our uh, shoes, uh, feet are shod with shoes to protect our feet, and uh, the belt of truth, and there's so many things that it lists that are defensive that defends us against the attacks of the enemy, and it also says that we have a shield of faith. The disciples once asked Jesus to increase our faith. So I would like for all of us here today to ask God to increase our faith. So if you'll say it out loud with me, just speak it uh, between you and God, and then we're going to turn to each other and let the other person know that we're asking for God to increase our faith. Everybody say it with me. Increase my faith. Now tell your neighbor that God is going to increase your faith. So I now want to ask you, that neighbor that spoke that to you, was it very convincing? If it wasn't very convincing, apparently they didn't have faith enough to believe that God would increase their faith. How many believes God wants you to have great faith? Amen. He wants you to walk through this life victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Easter is coming, and it's a joyous time for the church because we know the salvation that we have is because of what he did. And he did not die in vain. He died on the death on the cross, the, a cruel death where that they beat him and they spit on him and they smacked him and they scourged him and they took a cat of nine tails and whipped his back so that we could be saved. And he didn't do that so we could walk around with a lackadaisical faith. 
a faith that is not real, a faith that is not able to be lived out. I was talking to Corey before the service, drinking a cup of coffee, and he was telling me how that having knowledge of things, and I've said this a lot of times before, that we can have knowledge of something, but until we actually live out that knowledge or act on that knowledge, we don't have wisdom. And he said what I've said so many times, that wisdom is applying knowledge. So the Bible says that our faith is increased by reading his word, of hearing his word, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So as we come and hear these sermons and these messages and these series, our faith is increased day by day and week by week and month by month and year by year. And the longer you're in this thing, the stronger our faith should come. Seasoned Christians should be those that walk around with faith to believe nothing is impossible to those that believe in Him. That we're living it out in a reality where that others say, how can you have that kind of faith? You could say, because I've heard the Word of God and I know it's true and I'm living it out. Watch my life because God is proving Himself faithful over my life over and over and over again. So this armor that we have, Mostly is defensive in nature. The Apostle Peter said that the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Jesus said the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But he didn't stop. He said, but I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. This is a good God that we serve. This is an ever-present help in the time of struggle, in the time of need, God that we serve. The Old Testament psalmist said, I look to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. So as we are facing battles and facing adversity and seems like situations never cease, that the enemy will never let up, that it is constantly on attack, know this, that God says he, the enemy is coming trying to take your faith. He's trying to cause you to doubt and to not believe. He's on the offense, but God has given us a good defense. He is our shield He's our buckler. He's our sword. He, he's our strong tower. There's so many things in Scripture that talks about how God is our protector, our defender. So this armor, the whole armor of God series that we're looking at is entitled Unarmed. Because I believe where we mess up as humans is that we arm ourselves with our own opinions, our own ideals, our own thought process. When scripture is very clear to tell us to establish our goings by the word of God. So we need to unarm ourselves from our own motives, from our own ideals or our own way of thinking. Romans 12 says, you know, for us to renew our mind be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need to give up our way of thinking and begin to think on God's word because his word will prove true. It has never failed in history, and it's not going to start failing with you. How many believes that's true? This is a good place for an amen.
Well, you sound real convincing. Everybody say, Amen. Amen. God's Word is true. It establishes us. That is good stuff. This is good news that we're talking about. So us unarm ourselves so we can become armed by God. The more I let go of situations, the more God will prove true that He will work it out. That He can fix what I cannot. My life was a mess until I gave my life to Him. So this sermon series I wrote at the beginning sentences, Do you feel ill-equipped or unarmed to defend yourself against attacks that you've been enduring lately? Our society is full of fear, anxiety, depression, just sheer brutal intimidation. Here on nearly a weekly basis, my anxiety is getting the best of me. I can't handle any more. This is about to take me out. It seems that life is a constant struggle and full of battles. But according to Jesus, we have an enemy of our souls that wants nothing more to kill, steal, and destroy everything that God has intended for us. But Jesus wants us to live a blessed life. Who's ready to lay down our ways for Christ's ways? Is that you in this place today? I'm ready to give up trying to fix it myself. I'm ready for him to help. Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10. This is our text for our sermon series. Finally, be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Clothe yourself with the full armor of God that you may be able to stand, everybody say stand, against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against the powers and against the rulers of this darkness and the spiritual forces of evil in heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to stand. Everybody say stand. Your ground on the evil day. And having done everything to stand. Everybody say stand. Verse 14. First word is? Okay, you're getting it. Firm, therefore, by fastening the belt of truth around your waist, by putting the breastplate of righteousness, by fitting your feet with the preparation that comes from the good news of peace. And in all of this, by taking up the shield of faith, which which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With every prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And to this end, be alert with all perseverance and all requests for the saints. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. Lord, we thank you today to be in a body of believers. Lord, where that faith is being increased day by day. And Lord, as we look into your word, I pray for every person here that their faith would be increased on a daily basis. And God, as they pray and seek your face in all situations, and God, that they would know that you're in their midst. And Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be ever present with us that you promised in your word, that he would comfort us, that he would guide us. God, most of all, I pray that you armor each and every saint in this room with the armor that we just listened to from your word. Protect us, O oh God, from the evil one. Allow us to stand like never before in a reverence for you that shows your goodness 
to those that's living life around us. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, Amen. So being week three, we're going to talk today about the word withstand. The word withstand means to stand up against, to oppose with a firm determination. It means to resist successfully. It means to be proof against, resist the effect of withstanding the impact of a landing. This word stand is mentioned so many times in our text that it should stand out to us. If God mentions something over and over and over again, it's significant. So Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples or to those that he would come in contact with, he would often say, Verily, verily, I say unto you. When he said verily, verily, he's saying the word twice because he's wanting to bring attention to it so that people's ears will perk up. And I don't know about you, but I'm guilty of whenever I've listened to sermons myself and attended church services myself, that as the speaker or the preacher or the teacher or the evangelist or the prophet or the apostle is speaking, my mind will begin to wander off. Anybody say Amen. Wait, don't let that happen today. That our mind will just wonder. And we begin, whenever you hear a word, and you'll think, well, I just, okay. And then next thing you know, you're off in la-la land, and the speaker's still speaking, but you're not really listening. Because your mind will take you on a journey, oftentimes, of a place that you didn't even want to go. So today, I want you to withstand taking mental trips. I want you to withstand not listening intently. So Jesus said, verily, verily. Why did he say verily, verily? Because he wants us to hear what he was saying. Other times he would say, truly, truly, I say unto you. Reiterating the word so that we could hear the word. And today the word that we're speaking about is standing. Hopefully that's the sun coming out and heating up the roof. I'm sick of cold weather. If you missed week one and two, for those that are watching online, or maybe you're here today and this is your first uh, part of hearing this sermon series, the other parts are online on our Facebook account or also on SoundCloud, or you can go to our website or many different ways to get to the messages. And I want you to go back and listen to them because we're building blocks and putting things together kind of like a Lego. And we need to stack all these things together. This is a standalone series, yes, but we need to hear the other portions. So when I think about studying scripture for myself and how that I look at scripture 
We can read the book of Ephesians, and that's a, an epistle. It's called a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote back to the church at Ephesus. And sometimes we just don't dig in enough to understand who, what, where, when, how, and why. And I've told that before, and Joe Don was here for some of the lessons when we do our first Wednesdays sometimes through the summers. And when you begin to look at Scripture through that lens that you don't just let it roll off as you hear it and don't really look into it. The Bible says that the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword that it pierces asunder, that it goes all the way to the bone and marrow, that it is a deep, penetrating word. And for that word to be effective, we need to dig into it and try to learn some more about it. So as you think about that, the, the, the book of Ephesians, and, and you look at that, and you'll just say, well, where's Ephesus? Yeah, it's the book of Ephesians, but where's Ephesus? What country is that in? How far away was it from Israel? Who all was there? What kind of church was it? Because whenever you begin to look at it that way and you start gleaning and looking uh, at other portions of Scripture and figuring out, does God mention the word Ephesus anywhere else in the Bible? And when you dig into that, you're going to find that in the book of Acts, you'll see where the Apostle Paul was on a missions journey and come across this town named Ephesus, and as he stopped there, he planted a church. Mackenzie's going to come up later and talk about our missions as an organization that we are, the Simmons of God, that we supply missionaries with aid, and we send missionaries all over the world today that we continued in these tracks that the Apostle Paul left us to know that there is a church that is needed to be planted somewhere around the world today. There's all these dialects and all these different languages, and a lot of them don't even have the Bible written in their language yet. But there's a goal by people in America that has put a bunch of money forward to try to get the Bible translated to every language on the planet. Aren't you glad that about five or six hundred years ago that some people decided I'm going to take the Bible and translate it from Latin, from the Vulgate, and I'm going, to, I'm going to translate that into English, and we can sit here today with a Bible in our language that we know how to read and understand? Aren't you grateful to have God's Word that you can look down and have the ability to read and understand and know what it's saying? There's people around the world that does not have that ability today. That's why we need missionaries, because if the word isn't translated yet in writing, then a missionary can go there and learn their language and speak that language and transcribe from English to them what God is saying through his word to those people. And they can hear about Jesus for the first time. That's what we need to be about. But Apostle Paul was a missionary. That's what he was called to do. Yes, he was an apostle. He was a great preacher. He was a great teacher. He prophesied things. He was an evangelist. He won people to Jesus. He fulfilled the ministry that God had given him. But as he was going through this town, he got to this town named Ephesus, and it was a place that had no church.
Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people lived in this city. And not one church. So he built up this church and he stayed there for years, about three years in, in, in total. And he, he built this church and stayed with them. But in the midst of staying with them, there were some situations happened as he was in ministry. Some people think when we become a Christian that we can just rest and, and not have any opposition anymore. The devil's just going to give up and say, oh no, the, Jesus took them and it's just going to be easy and we're going to walk around on tiptoes on tulips and it's just going to be hunky-dory and just float around on clouds like a little angel or something. But how many Christians in the room could say, it hasn't been that way for me? When I gave my life to Jesus, the enemy fought me that much more because he's seen what he lost was somebody that was now that Jesus had won. And as Jesus took advantage of my life and took a hold of my life, he allowed me to live out. And I didn't want to preach. I didn't want, to, I didn't want any of this. I didn't want to talk in front of people. So why does the enemy try to attack me? He don't want me to impact your life so that you're living with a greater faith when you walk out of these rooms. In the same way for you, whenever you go in your job place and you become a Christian, you're going to go in there and they're not going to be like, oh man, I'm glad you got saved. They're going to begin to pick on you. They're going to begin to mock you. They're going to ridicule you. But what are you going to do in that situation? You want me to tell you what to do? Stand. And I'm not talking about beating people over the head with the Bible. I'm not talking about cramming it down their throat. I'm talking about standing against the attack of the enemy because they're human beings. The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That's what it said in Ephesians, right? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That person is not the one that's opposing you. It's the enemy that is using them to try to tear you down to decrease your faith. But if you will stand on your faith... If you'll stand up and begin to boldly declare, God is my Savior. I'm delivered from the evil one. Why? Because Jesus hung on a cross. And he went in that grave, but he come out on the third day. And he's alive forevermore. And now he's living on the inside of this heart today. Why? Because he lives, I can live also. This is encouraging news, folks. It's worth standing for. The world is going to hell in a handbasket unless Christians begin to stand up, amen, against the attack of the enemy. And it's not tearing individuals down. It's saying the evil one is evil and good is good. God is good. And the devil is bad. It's black and white. There's no gray in that. So the Apostle Paul plants this church in Ephesus. And as he's there, you can read this in Acts chapter 19 and verse 20, or in, 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 in chapter 20 as well, that it tells this story. And I, I would like for you to go and read that. I can't read it all here today. But I would like for you to go read that, Acts chapter 19 and 20 this week. And to listen to some of the stuff that the Apostle Paul lived out. And this is Luke the physician writing this in the book of Acts and, and describing this mission's journey that the Apostle Paul was on. But I want, you, I want to read to you 
So Ephesus was this place, before I do that, Ephesus was this place, it was the city that was the second largest city in the world at that time. The second most important city in the world at that time. So like today, in today's world, if, if we said, what is the most important city on the planet today? Has the most resources, the most power, the most ability to make a decision that would affect the rest of the world? Where's the most important city on the planet today? I'm asking for an answer. Washington, D.C. Because in Washington, D.C., they can make a law or spout something on a news channel and it can reverberate throughout the rest of the world as setting on watch what is happening in Washington, D.C. So it's the most important, powerful city on the planet today. So back then, it was Rome was that city. That's where laws were decreed. That's the Roman Empire was in charge of it all. The most powerful city in the world was Rome. But just like where Washington, D.C. is the most important city, powerful city, there's also another city in America that somebody else named a minute ago is New York City. And it's where commerce happens. It's where the stock market is. And everybody goes to that because that's where they can get increase and that's where they can buy and sell goods and that's where they can trade and that's where they can do all these things. So Washington, D.C. is a powerful city, yes, but also people are very intrigued by New York City. Intrigued so much that the world has come together today and created this thing called the UN, and now the UN is based there. So Ephesus was this city that was second in power, but also had a great magnet for people to come there. And if you go to New York City today, how many knows that's a melting pot? There's people from all nations of the world. If you've ever been there, that it's just it's it's amazing how many different people there are ethnic groups and, and colors and races, and it's just a melting pot for the world. That's what Ephesus was. How many knows it's hard to get for people to get along when somebody's different than them? Can somebody say amen? It's hard for us to get along. So this is the city where there's so much diversity that it was hard for people to get along. Everybody had opinions. And there was gods after gods after gods that they had created. Idols, images, these little tokens and these uh, things that they had made. And there was people that was in business was molding and forming these silver gods and, and passing them out and people would put them on their mantle in their, in their house and, and that was God to them. That it, it brought about, uh, it was like, if I put this in my house, I'm going to be blessed in my house because I've got this idol setting up on a shelf. So when Paul comes to town, he begins to talk about the one true and living God. Not a God that's made with hands, but a God that has all power and dominion over the whole earth. That there's no other gods other than Him. So as Paul begins to tear down their thought process about having these idols, it'd be like taking the stock market away from all the brokers, all the financial advisors. Sometimes the gospel comes in 
And it is in opposition to what we believe as truth prior to becoming a Christian. The Word of God is the end-all, be-all for everything we must believe, say, and do, and how we act. Because we might not have idols that are setting up there that's something tangible that we can lay our hands on, but a lot of us have idols that may be our way of thinking that we try to bring into our Christianity and think, well, I lived out this way, and my grandma did it this way, or my grandpa did it this way, and, and my aunt and uncle went to church, and they did it this way. But those are idols that we're bringing in and setting on a shelf when God says, my people are to be a people of freedom, to worship me in spirit and in truth, and to put me above all else. He is the ultimate of all the universe. So as Paul comes into the city and begins to plant this church, there's people there that don't like him very much. He was tearing down industries. And we know that in our world today, that if you uh, oppose some big industry, it's hard. You'll take the brunt when you're dealing with people's pocketbook. But how many knows God's bigger than my pocketbook? He can supply all my needs according to His riches. Amen? He knows my needs before I even know them. He'll supply every one of them. You have no need that He cannot supply. The Bible says that He owns the cattle on a thousand hillsides. It's all His. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. This is all His. I might have a deed to 60 acres worth of property on Dry Hollow Road, but guess what? It's not really mine. It's His. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof. My car that I'm driving, yeah, I've got a deed and a title to that, but guess what? It's not my car. It's His car. He's allowing me to use it. He's allowing me to have possession of it for a season. But this is all temporary. This body that we live out our life here on this planet, it's temporary. But the Apostle Paul begins to stand up to all these things, and he's standing on the word of truth. He's promoting truth, and as he's doing this, when he stands, opposition comes. When I had you to pray earlier and say, increase my faith, God, as you begin to increase in faith, just know this, that the enemy is going to oppose you even that much more. You need a breast plate of righteousness. Why? Because you need to be in right standing with God. We need a helmet of salvation because my mind cannot handle all the attacks of the enemy. How many would like God to just put a spiritual helmet on your head right now that would prevent the enemy from being able to come in and intercept in what God's trying to say to you? Place upon yourself the helmet of salvation. Sit here knowing today, man, I'm glad I'm saved. Because I'm saved, I can stand. I can stand what? I can stand anything that the enemy tries to come at me with. Why? Because I'm saved and I know it. Faith assures me I'm attesting this today. I am saved. Why? Because I know I am. If you know that, nobody can take it away from you. And they might come up and say, yeah, you think you're saved, but I seen this week you did this. If I could save myself by my actions, 
I wouldn't have needed to give my life to Jesus. And I wouldn't have needed my Savior to hang on a cross and die the, the, the death penalty that he had because of the sins that I've committed. If I could have fixed those myself, I would have. But I couldn't. I needed him. So the only way I'm standing today with a helmet of salvation, and the only reason I have this ability to stand is because I know in whom I believed. And I would know he's able to keep that which I promised to him. If you give him your life, if you submit your will to his, I assure you, he will not fail you. It may seem like gloom and doom. It may seem like the wheels are coming off the bus. It may seem like you can't handle anymore. But whenever you begin to think those thoughts, it's you thinking those thoughts and the enemy's trying to get in your head. Just put that out and say, nope, I'm going back to the word. What does the word say? God says, I'm saved. What does he say? I can handle this situation. What do you mean, pastor? Yeah, the Bible says you can handle anything because God won't put anything on you that you're not able to bear. That's the truth. And when you stand on his word, you cannot be shaken. So this magnificent city of Ephesus, second most important city of the world, can you imagine the Apostle Paul walking in to this cesspool of everything evil, of everything selfish? It's a place, the epitome of all the throng with the world. And the Apostle Paul stands up and says, No, my God didn't die on a cross so that these people will go to hell. And he walks in there and he says, I'm going to see what God wants to do. And there's going to be some people saved up in this city. Come on, somebody. What if we would walk out of this place today with the assurance of our salvation and come out of here and walk out of this place just walking and standing tall and knowing as we go into the highways and byways that we compel them to come to the house of God. Easter is coming. I would like to see every seat in this place filled on Easter, wouldn't you? Last year we had our first service ever here at Easter. What was the number? 201? 201 people, individuals, come in and attended this service last year. I think we can do better than that. I think God wants us to go out and withstand the attack of the enemy on people's lives and compel them, convince them, bring them with you here Easter service, which is in a couple weeks. But the Apostle Paul went in that city not looking like, oh no, this is too bad, I can't do anything about this, I'm just going to leave it alone, God don't want me to do anything more, He just wants me to sit here quiet and just humbly and set my home and just live my own life for me. He sent him out and said, go win a city. He's charging us today, go win a city. What is that city? That city may be your family. Invite your family to come to Easter service. There will be... I heard Pastor Chris Hodges this past week, which is dumbfounds me, Church of the Highlands down in Alabama. But he, their church a few years ago had 52,000 people on Easter Sunday morning. 52,000 people. Do you know what his prayer was that he asked his people last weekend? How many people he wants to see saved 
this Easter coming, and he's asking the church, begin to pray, lift up, boldly declare, stand against the wiles of the evil one. What's he telling them to do? He said, pray that 4,000 people will become a Christian on Easter Sunday morning. I don't know what our number is, but I would like to see 50 people saved in this room on Sunday morning. How many would like to see something like that? We can see it if we'll work towards it, if we'll stand and go out and do what God has called us to do. The Apostle Paul went to Ephesus, and he didn't throw down the garden and say, I can't do anything about this cesspool, and the evil look at it, and gloom and doom, and woe is me, and poor, poor, pitiful me. He walked in there and began to stand up for the Word of God. And when people hear the truth, they are inclined to come towards it, not against it. The Bible says that God draws all men unto himself. The greatest mag- the biggest magnet on the pla- on the in the universe is God drawing human beings to come unto me all that you labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. This is truth of scripture, I promise you. God is drawing, he's wooing, he's asking us, be in partnership with me. Our lives are better because of him. In Acts chapter 20, at the end of the verses, I just want to read a few here and I'm done in just a minute. Leslie, if you'll start playing. This is Acts chapter 20. Verse 19. Apostle Paul, speaking to the church at Ephesus. He'd been there three years. He'd left and went and planted other churches. And he'd come back by to stop by and just talk to the people at Ephesus for a minute. I love it whenever other churches that I've attended in my life that I get to hear from people. And when I go back and visit with them. And sometimes it's years before I ever get back to talk to some people that I've attended church with. That I've pastored. And they'll message me on Facebook. And I thank God for all those avenues that God gives us today. And I'm grateful to see they're still in the fight. That they're still out there fighting and standing. And having done all to stand. And I can just imagine the Apostle Paul saying these words. I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I've never shrank back. Sometimes God asks me to say some things up here. And as I speak the word of God, it's it's something that makes me uneasy. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Can I say that, God? We're just vessels of clay. And the more he speaks, the less I need to. The Holy Spirit is doing a work in our hearts if we'll allow him to. What are you standing for? And what are you standing against? That's a question I have for us today. Verse 23, Paul said, Except that the Holy Spirit tells me in a city after city, he said that jail and suffering lies ahead. He had been given prophecies that said, You've got to go to Jerusalem. 
Paul's thinking, I don't want to go to Jerusalem. That's the place where people tried to kill me the last time I was there. I don't want to go back. Think about that. The Apostle Paul, one of the greatest leaders the church has ever seen, being summoned to go into a hard area, a hard zone, and, and fight a battle that he didn't want to fight. And he's here with these lovely people from Ephesus, and he wraps his arms around them. He tells them, he says, you won't see me again. It's my last time talking to you. But I'm going to go do what God told me to do. Because I'm going to do the work that God told me to do. Listen to this verse. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. There's nothing more important than the work of the ministry. There's some people in this room you need to get in and begin to work in the ministry. Shannon's got some work that he's doing with men's ministry and the women's ministry and I thank God that the Bridge Blessing team is helping so many as they face battles that they don't want to face. There's many people in this room that is working in ministry. And Jesus is asking us all today, join in that work. The minute you start standing up and working, sure, the enemy's going to fight. Sure, the enemy's going to come. But I promise you, as you begin to work out your own soul salvation with fear and trembling before God, that you're going to be able to see, man, my faith is increasing because every time I boldly declare and confess Jesus before my peers and before my friends and I talk about how good God's been to me, the more you do it, the greater your faith will be because it's going to increase and you'll be able to stand. So right now, I want everybody in this room, if you will, please stand. If you would just bow your head and just for just a moment as Leslie sings here I want her just to sing a verse or two of this song and then I want you to just ponder and think about what is the Holy Spirit and God saying to me through this message maybe he's asking you to unarm yourself from your own thoughts from your own pretense and your own things that you're bringing to the table and he's asking you to lay those down and pick up the armor of God. If you've never been saved, today's a good day to do that.
verse in that that says still I will worship everybody here just close your eyes no looking around as Leslie sings this one more time I just want you to lift up your hand in a sign of surrender and saying God just like waving the white flag in a war in a battle when they wave those white flags it says I surrender I give it all As you surrender to him in this place, just understand. And you begin to worship him and, and think about these words as she's saying this. That the world will look and say, that looks like you're being ruined. You can boldly confess and declare, yeah, I gave my life to him. He can do with it as he wishes. So just lift your hands in this place today and worship you've never worshipped him before and you want to give him your life today, just lift your hand in an act of obedience and surrender to him. If you're facing a battle that it seems like you can't get through, just lift your hand and say, God, I need your help in this place today. We're going to worship you in spirit and in truth. Though you 